Hi everyone, it is Denise here from The Shift Podcast. Um, I'm speaking with Catherine Rains on this episode, which I'm really excited about because Catherine is awesome and I'm going to be listening to this particular podcast again and again to remind me of all the really useful things that she explains. So Catherine, she lives in um, the US. She went from a job she really hated as a driven professional working as a career counsellor to becoming an almost full-time artist by doing, doing two things. First was letting go of her inner resistance and the second was following her joy. So when I say that she became an almost full-time artist, um, I'm referring to the fact that she spends five days a month working as a trainer for the Myers Briggs company, which kind of provides her with a bit of a cushion so that she doesn't have to put too much pressure on her art and she can focus on the joy of what she does. Um, she considers her art to be more than just art. It's, it's an offering, um, which is a really beautiful way of looking at it. So, yeah, when, when Catherine first started doing her art, it was just an outlet because she was so unhappy with her job. So she never considered herself to be an artsy person. She was basically just performing career counselling on herself at a time when she was really miserable in her job. Um, and from taking that step, to, to which for her was to go back to considering the things that she once enjoyed doing. And for her, one of those things was collage um, and her art is all mixed media collage work. Um, yeah, from that step, it just it provided a path. Things started showing up. She's now got processes that she explains in this chat about how to stop fighting with your life um, and let go of inner resistance and why it matters um, she explains why it's sometimes easier to let go of resistance in the big, earth-shattering, really um, traumatic events than it is to when experiencing just low, low-grade chronic misery. Um, so, but yeah, we have a really great chat. Um, as I said, I never listen back to my podcast because you know it's horrible to listen back to yourself. But I'll definitely listen to this one again. So, if you want to check out Catherine's work. Because when, when you hear mixed media collage, I don't know what you picture, but I picture like things ripped out of magazines and I've got a, I, before I saw her work, I had a really weird image in my head, which is not at all what her art looks like. Her art is really beautiful. So catrainsart.artist, that's her Instagram page. You can also go to her website at catherinerains.com. And I've got... Um, everything in the show notes. There's some apps that she mentions. Um, yeah, links to her her website and to her Instagram page. All that stuff's in the show notes anyway, so you can just go there. All right, then enjoy the, sh the chat. I hope you liked it as much as I did. Thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, it's my total privilege, Denise. I'm so honoured that you asked me, truly. Yeah, I've been um, looking forward to our chat for quite a while. So can you tell us the story of how you actually came to be an artist? Because I know that you didn't always consider yourself to be very artistic. So how, how did that come about? Well... So, I, yeah, I didn't intend to be an artist. That was not part of my life path, you know, up until my 30s, you know, I was a professional career woman. I had planned my whole life to get one job, which was to be a career development director in a major university in the U.S. And I was about halfway there. I probably had like seven more years to go before I would have hit the ultimate goal of this ultimate job, which is a really good job because it's a, you know, it's basically a guaranteed job for life. It's great retirement. You know, it's a great job. Um, and I was really good at that job, but I hated my job at the same time. I was really quite miserable with it only because I didn't like managing people. You know, the managing, you know, the, the job itself was career counseling. That's great. You know, helping people find their, their calling, but managing a, a team of people was just, it's not my thing. Although I'm good at it, I don't like doing it. So I was very, very stressed um in this job and i just and i i started thinking well let me get another job let me get another bigger career development job 
And I was thinking, well, that's really stupid. Why do you think you're going to like a bigger job when you hate the smaller job version of it? So I started doing career counseling on myself. And I, one of the things I did to kind of figure out where I needed to go, and I had no idea where I wanted to go, by the way. I had zero clue because I had gotten to this job using all the career development tools I knew, like this fit, you know, in an intellectual, logical way. So I started doing illogical things. So there's a really, uh, there's a real standard exercise, well, not a standard exercise, but an exercise I love where you list all the things you'd love to do as a kid, but you weren't told to do it. So I made this really long list one day and the list included things like kick the can, Barbies, Oh, what else did I love to do? I love to teach my sister school. Um, I love to play hide and seek. You know, these were the things I loved to do as a kid. But one of the things on the list was the word collage. And I had only made one collage in my lifetime. It was when I was 10 years old. And I just remember, I have a little picture on my, on my bulletin board right here of me holding this little 10-year-old collage. And it was awful, but I was 10. But it gave me so much joy when I made it. So I said, you know, I'm desperate. And by the way, I have no, at that time, I thought I had no artistic ability. My parents were both artistic, but I, I, I couldn't draw, I couldn't paint. And I thought those were the minimum requirements for anyone to do anything artistic. So, but collage, right? I mean, who can't tear up paper? I mean, that's just like pretty rudimentary. And I was desperate. So I got all, one Sunday, I got all the catalogs in the house together and I tear, tore them up and I made this very juvenile collage. And I just went crazy with joy. It was like, oh my God, this is so much fun. And I wasn't thinking about it as a career. I was just thinking, yeah, okay, there has to be some clue here because it gives me joy. So just follow the joy. That's what I was going for. So I started just making them and making them and making them. Like for three years, I had piles of these things and I loved doing them. And eventually I got brave and I took this big pile of collages and framed them. And I put them all over my university job and my uh, colleagues and my students would come in my office and they would go, oh, you have children. Don't have children. I don't know why they didn't bother me. I mean, they were bad. They were really bad. <laughs> um, and then eventually things, you know, moved on. I actually got a job offer from a company kind of out of the blue. That's a whole different story. Um, but as soon as I got this other job, which was with Myers, the Myers-Briggs company, the assessment tool, I took my first art class and it was with someone who was making magazine collages as his medium and he was making a living doing it. So I signed up for this workshop five days with him and in a very short amount of time, I went from pretty juvenile to not bad. And so I took a new collage and I Xeroxed it and I sent it to a friend in California. She framed it, put it on her wall and someone offered to buy it. And from that moment forward, I realized, okay, that's it. That's what I want to do. The question is, how do you scale that? You know, so yeah. people, so you can make a living doing. So your intention wasn't to actually work in art. You're just trying to, were you trying to just find a way to bring some joy into your life when you didn't like your yeah. career? Is that, and you just thought, I don't know where this will take me, yeah. but I just need to bring a bit more right. joy. Right. Yeah. And, and, and really, that's how I'm doing it right now. It's like follow the joy. You know, like what, what kind of sparks something inside you? Even if it's not the path, it's a path to the path. Mm. You know, so, but I didn't realize I was doing it back then. That wasn't like, oh, well, let me follow the joy. I just happened to do that. And, yeah. it, and it worked. And that's pretty much how I've been doing it, except that it's really accelerated in the last year. Like now I'm like deliberately, if this feels good, that's what you do, okay. you know, in terms of making art. Yeah. So I know, yeah, as you said, you work with Maya Briggs now as well as your art. Is that still, are you still doing the, um, that only one week a month? Is that still your current? I do. Yeah. yeah I, work five, I work five days a month. And so, so the, you know, the, the, the bigger story here is, is that I've been a full-time artist twice. The yep. first time I was a full-time artist, I quit this Myers-Briggs job and I 100% depended on art making and art sales as my income. And it was really hard. I mean, not that you know, any job isn't hard, but expecting you know, what you make to sell, it was the most stressful thing I'd ever done in my life. 
And I spent, I loved it. It was an incredible experience and I also hated it. But I was, I was never going to stop it. You know, that was my life job. I love doing art with all my heart, but making art your sole income before it can be your sole income necessarily without stress is really hard. So eventually my life story led me back to a full-time job and I stayed in my full-time job another 12 years and, and I eventually left and became a full-time artist again, except that I now I have a full, I have five days a month working, which is really the most amazing uh, balance because yeah. it gives me the cushion not to have to, um, force the art to be what it doesn't want to be. Yeah. You know, I can, I can truly do art that gives me joy as opposed to I'm doing art because it's marketable and I know mm. it will sell. And so it just gives, um, it gives a, it takes the pressure off, you know, yeah. having to make so-called good art. I mean, I think my art is good, but I think it's good because the pressure is not there. Yeah. And eventually my intention, I'm hoping within the next couple of years, maybe a year, I won't do Myers-Briggs. Myers-Briggs company, I hope you're not listening to this. <laughs> the intention is not to, because uh, it is, it, it does take away. Five days a month yeah. is actually a lot. And it's like my passion. Yeah. It's like this time, you know, you're, you're easing into, you know, you're allowing it to be a softer approach rather than just yeah. quitting your job and doing the art every, you know, full time. It's, it's almost full time now, but having that one week is just a lovely soft approach where you can take the pressure yeah. off a bit. But I'd, exactly I'd love to um, backtrack a little bit. And um, can you share your story about how you got the Maya Briggs job and how that's helped your art? Oh, you know, no one's asked that, Denise. That's the first time anybody's asked me. So how did I get the Myers-Briggs job? Okay. Oh, I, I guess I have told the story now that I think about it because you know it. So let yeah. me tell you the story. <laughs> so uh, let, me, oh, let me remember the story. So the, the story begins, I, have, I had a colleague at another university tell me that someone had called her up and offered her a job out of the blue. And here I was dying to get out of this job. I had no idea where I wanted to go. You know, I'm making these collages, but that wasn't a job. Um, and I really had no idea how I was ever going to leave this job that I hated. But this woman I knew got this job offer. So I said, oh, wow. If it could happen to her, it could happen to me because I'm really well connected. You know, people know me all over the place. Why wouldn't someone call me? So what I started doing was I started playing this kind of bizarre game with myself. And I, every time the phone rang, I would say, this is my job. Someone's calling me with my job. I didn't realize at the time that I was actually doing affirmations. And I was actually affirming my job into existence. Um, and I had, by the way, I, I have already gotten another job exactly like this. I actually used affirmations for my first college job, but I, I just poo-pooed that. Like, oh yeah, I did that. No big deal. So I started saying this was three months of every time the phone call and, and the phone must have rang, I mean, 25 times a day. So 25 times a day, I'm saying, this is my job. I got my job right here. And of course, every time it wasn't. And I go, oh, that's okay. <laughs> the next one will be my job. But at the same time I was doing that, um, you know, I was pretty unhappy with my job. And I remember at the beginning of this, you know, phone little game I was playing, I remember looking out the window saying, and I, I remember actually a, a, a voice coming into my head and it said, what you resist persists. And I realized, oh my God, I am resisting this job. I am actually hating a job, which is complete resistance. Now, yes, it was logical to hate it because people were yelling at me. My staff was always, I mean, it was a crazy job, even though it, people, at least in the US, think college jobs are glamorous. They're not, they're political. You know, it's a government job that's very political. But anyways, so, um, but I was resisting it. You know, I was fighting it every, every turn I was fighting this job. So I decided right then and there that I had to come up with a ritualistic way to stop resisting. So, and it literally just came to me in like one, like one day I figured it out and I decided every time I felt this tension in my body that basically said, I hate this. Why is this person doing this? Like I'd have a staff person sitting in front of me, taking up my time, griping about something. I have a lot of other things to do besides listening to this person yell at me. 
And that's exactly when my, my brain would click on, no, I'm sitting here, which means it's my destiny. I was meant to be right here. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. I'm supposed to be with this person. And I would just relax and just fully listen to what this person was saying. And I would do this all day long. Um, I mean, you probably heard this one, Denise. I, I was sitting in a, a huge staff meeting, which I had to go to every other week. I had thir- like 20 people, of my co- 20 colleagues, other directors around the table. And my boss was sitting there lecturing at us. You know, he was just pontificating about life. And I, in my brain, I'm going, what the fuck? <laughs> Why am I sitting here? You know, I have so many other things to do besides listening to this clown. And then I went, oh, resistance. So I'd go, this moment's my destiny. I'm supposed to be here. I wouldn't be here. And so I'd look around the room and I'd say, what is good about this? And I, I, I didn't make it up. I, I came up with real things. What's good? I love these people. These 20 colleagues were brilliant people. They served other people. They were just incredible. And they were serving as homemade chocolate chip cookies. Wow. And all of a sudden, these staff meetings became a, a source of, oh, I get two hours off. I get two hours off to just listen to this guy tell me about his things, his ideas about life. That's not bad. And so it, this happened like constantly because I had many, many opportunities where I was miserable. And I just had to keep catching myself in the moment, in the moment, in the moment. This moment's my destiny. And so these two games were happening simultaneously. This moment's my destiny. Every time I felt this, you know, like, oh, my God, I hate this place. At the same time, I was picking the phone up going, um, my, this is my job. And then three months into this, my future boss called me. And damned if it wasn't the job. It was the Myers-Briggs company. And I hadn't applied for it. I didn't even know it existed. Uh, I had no experience for the job. You know, I, I, didn't, hadn't, even, I hadn't even taken the Myers-Briggs. I hadn't actually um, gotten certified on the Myers-Briggs. I wasn't even using it. Yet they were offering me a job and it was totally a dream job. I mean, it was like things I had dreamed about my entire life, but really hadn't even told anybody because I thought this was really unrealistic. It was stupid. Like who gets to travel the country on an expense account training the Myers-Briggs? Like that is like my dream job. And I had no, I, I had no resume, no experience to actually get the job. Yet I got the job mm. because it in my now i know in hindsight i had actually affirmed it into existence at the same time as i stopped resisting where i was and the stop resisting where you was part i think is the ingredient that a lot of people miss when they try to affirm things into existence because if you're resisting at the same time you're trying to get somewhere you're basically standing still Hmm. which is what I did for six and a half years at my college job until I finally realized that resistance was the whole game. Get rid of the resistance and there's a clear path, even though you may not know the path because Hmm. both times I've done this twice, both times I had no idea what the path was. You know, I just opened my arms and let the universe bring it to me. Yeah. So can you explain a little bit more about resistance? Like I know I've previously had this conversation with you where I talk about really being quite resistant of, of certain situations or certain people. And um, you kind of explain that it isn't always, you know, it isn't necessarily pretending, oh, gee, this guy's yelling at me. This is great. Um, right, right. Can you explain a little bit about what it actually looks like and how we, we kind of get it a bit wrong if we're just trying to um, shove a sunshine, you know, a little happy face sticker over everything. God, Denise, that's like the million dollar question. (laughs) Just so you know, I'm going through it right now. So I'm trusting that people that I'm doing this with are not going to listen. I just won't give them the link. So (laughs) there's a group of people in my life. There's four of them that have been giving me, uh, that I've resisted my entire life, basically. You know, there's a lot of drama around them. They call me up. They need my help. They're like, ah! It's the same thing as when I was back at my college job. And I have to constantly remember that it's not about going, oh, aren't they cute? Or aren't they sweet? Oh, look at their voice. Isn't that funny? Because that's not true. What's true is, is, the, is the voice in my head that goes, fuck you. You know, like I, that is what's true. Like I'm, I'm arguing with these people as they are 
put swirling drama around me or things I really judge. I mean, I judge like crazy what they're doing. And I think this is what you were telling me early, you know, a long time ago is that it's really hard to be around people that you really don't agree with them <laughs> in how they live, who they are. So I don't try to make nice. What I do is, this is what I'm doing right now in my life is when I hear this like, what are they doing? Kind of a voice in my head. I say the word yes to myself. And every other thought after that, I just let it go. And it's really hard. But when I let that thought go, even if it's only for three seconds, there's a piece that comes over me that's unbelievable. And um, the last time I did this exact thing, I was with, with my father. I hadn't talked to him in three years uh, because he, has a, he, he had a habit. He's a cease. He had a habit of marrying people who hated me, which was a really odd thing. But they were very jealous of our relationship. So they, they were really very hostile toward me and they made my father hostile. So three years of no communication. And I, I made a little bridge to him and said, let's have dinner with his current wife at the time. And I did exactly what I just said. So I'm having dinner with these people who have been shown a lot of hostility to me. And every time they'd say something that I was like, oh my God, you've got to be kidding. As soon as I said those words to myself, I went, yes. And I let the thought go. I wasn't trying to make nice. I was just not entertaining the ridiculous things that were like yelling at me, okay. which by the way, were true. They were awful. I mean, they, they were not nice people. But by me continuing the, what I call it, the monkey brain, you know, the monkey brain is just going off and they're screaming and they're cussing at these people. I just didn't entertain it. And so, and I did this over and over again. It was really ironic because this one, this was one dinner that changed everything. My father called me up like a day later and he said, you know, my wife said that you've really changed. You are so different. <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah, I was, but they, they couldn't have actually seen any difference. I was acting the same. What was yeah. different was energetically. I wasn't doing this. I mean, I wasn't this. I wasn't yelling back, basically. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I was letting. I was letting it be. I did that with an ex-husband too, by the way. That was the other big one I had. Yeah. My ex-husband was just a. He was a really sweet soul on the outside, but he was manipulative, very controlling, not a good person. You know, yeah. in in the big scheme of things. And I went through a six-month period at the end of my marriage where he was just verbally abusive, like constant uh, yelling at me for the most ridiculous things you can imagine. Like I walked in front of the television when he was watching it, or I asked him if he wanted a pizza. I was going to order one. And he, I mean, and, and I, I was disturbing a television show. I mean, it was just like, really? You're mad at me for these things? So I was fighting him. Like I was like, what? How dare you? Yeah, I was verbally fighting back. And then the same thing happened. I realized, oh my God, I'm resisting this man. Now, it's not like I'm going to let myself be uh, emotionally battered, but I realized that fighting back was doing zero good. He was just coming up with more reasons to, to, you know, to be emotionally abusive. So I did the same thing. Every time he came at me with a ridiculous another one, I would go, I would say in my head, yes. I would let the thoughts go. And then if he kept going, I'd go, look, darling, I love you, but I'm not going there. So you're going to have to, you know, come back when you want to talk to me nicely. Otherwise we're not playing. And Oh, that made him furious. And he'd go off and fume for a day or two. And he came back every time and apologized. Now, eventually that actually led to us getting divorced, which was the biggest blessing ever. But that's what I think non-resistance does. Like if you don't resist where you are, the universe realigns you where you're supposed to be. That doesn't mean you take abuse. Like yeah. I would get myself out, you know, like I would walk away out of the house if I was, if I had somebody coming after me. Um, it's kind of almost I, like, it's kind of almost like you're opening up a clear, a clear space so that you can kind of think, so that you can think clearly without all that white noise. And it's more likely that you are going to have a change when you're not just focused on all the, the fighting. Like, I can't believe you said that, you know, after everything and blah, 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 you know, all this story. So in saying yes, 
Is it, is it like, yes, I agree this is shit, but I'm just not going to get lost in that whirlwind of thoughts. I'd rather just trust, yeah. be here and, and be able to judge the situation with a bit of calmness. Yeah. And it's not, it's, it even goes beyond that. It goes like when you stop putting that energy out, you don't get the energy. Mm. You know, it's like, you know, it's the old, you know, principle, what you put out, you get, even if you didn't start it. Like, I'm not starting these things, but, and it, you know, when I was in my college job, it was completely logical to fight back or not to like where I was, but that just gets you to stay where you are. You know, the universe only hears, oh, you don't like this? Okay, we'll give you more of this. As opposed to, let me just let go of those thoughts. And then it kind of realigns you and attracts what you are, what you're basically putting out. Like I'm no longer putting out all this negative crap, even though they may not have heard it because I'm not actually saying it to the most of the time. The universe is not giving me more crap. They're giving me the peace that I'm generating inside. Mm. Yeah. You, we actually had um, on this podcast earlier a lady by the name of Grace Bell and she does um, the work of, have you heard of Katie Bynan? Byron yeah, Katie. Katie. Yeah, yeah. Byron Katie. Um, she facilitates uh, the work of Byron Katie. And she said that her, her thing is all around um, not necessarily trusting and not necessarily believing all your thoughts. She says, thinking happens, but I don't have to believe it. And I right. kind of think that's quite right. kind of similar. It's like the same message in a different way to, yeah. to what you've found works. Yeah. I definitely follow that as well. I love yeah. Byron Katie's work. And I, if I get really stuck and I can't, I can't move myself because I'm so mired in this like crazy thinking. I've done the work many times. Yeah. I, you know, that's what she calls it, the work. Yeah. yeah. It's very, she has an app that you can do the work on an app, which is just incredibly powerful. Okay. So that is, that's my backup plan. <laughs> if I can't, yep. you know, but if, but if I cannot, if I can stop myself before I have to go there, like, I totally agree. Like, you know, what most of our thoughts aren't true anyways, but if I can stop myself, if I can just stop the thinking before it gets down that trail, mm. because then, the, then it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's just so hard to get yourself out. And the work does work, you know, with Byron Katie, it just takes a lot of work. You know, you have to put a lot of effort, which I can bypass this by stopping the thoughts before they go there. Yeah. Yeah. And so with your, with your hus ex-husband as the example, it's not a matter of going, it's not a matter of creating all this inner turmoil by trying to change your thoughts and trying to say, oh, he's actually got really right. great right. hair or, you know, like you're not trying right. to fight, find something good. Right. You're just going, yep, I agree, but I don't want to go there. So it's kind of different to what a lot of people think of when they try and do positive thinking and all of that. I just think you can go too far where you split yourself into two people and it's actually at war right. with yourself. Yeah, so I, was, I wasn't trying to appreciate him. No. I was actually setting really clear boundaries of my, my motto back then was, I'm going to be happy no matter what. Yeah. No matter what you throw at me, you're not going to be able to penetrate this wall. And it was true. You know, this wasn't a fake thing. But, I, but I, the way I did that was saying, I'm not going to fight with you. Like, you can complain to me if you want, but I'm walking away. Yeah. You know, you're going to be, you're going to be complaining to a nothingness because I'm not here. Um, and if you want to talk, I can talk once you, you know, come back to equilibrium because yep. I'm not playing the game. So it's kind of like saying my inner space matters. Yeah. Yeah. Right. My happiness is the ultimate goal. Yeah. And yep. you don't have to agree with me, but I'm going to do it anyways. What about, um, how you, cause I know that, um, accepting the present moment has been an ongoing theme in your life ever since you used that uh, way of thinking to get out of the job that you hated. You've kind of been putting new, you know, new ways of, of accepting life, um, utilising those to, to, to kind of watch your reality change. I mean, I know you said somewhere um, when you stop trying to get somewhere else, somewhere else appears. So, um, yeah, I know that that's, kind of what you've been doing ongoing, but how do you apply that in situations where 
there's just such an immense grief. Like um, I know that when you got divorced, even though it was really um, not a great marriage, um, certainly towards the end, but there was still a lot of grief there. So how do you accept moments like that? So it's not so much accepting them. Um, it's more allowing, like, the, the, two big, the two big experiences that I've had that I can remember are having a husband. that My husband actually cheated on me in a very horrible way. Um, it was over a year period. It was with um, a mutual friend of ours. It was happening right in front of my eyes that I had no idea. That was one. And the other one was cancer, breast cancer. So both of them were the big kind of, wake up calls in my life in terms of being devastating. You know, I've never described anything as devastating ever. But when I found out that my husband had been cheating on me for over a year with someone I knew, that was devastating. And that, you know, when those big things happen to me, that is when I believe the the real big growth happens. It's like sometimes you can't wake up all the way until you get slapped. It's like, well, okay, wake up. And although I'd already been on the path, like I did this work with him for six solid months, you know, as he was, you know, fighting me, didn't know he was having an affair at the same time, but he was fighting me. Um, when it actually happened, like, and he said, okay, I'm, I'm leaving. I was devastated. And what I had, the way I dealt with the grief was I allowed myself to fully feel it. 100% went into it, cried on the kitchen floor pretty much every three days. Every three days, I was a, bile, a, a, a ball of tears. But what I kept myself from doing while I was crying was continuing the dialogue in my head. So as, you know, as I'm like, oh my God, I've, I've never had my heart broken like this, even close, I kept saying, I, kept, I wouldn't allow those thoughts to stay that said, how could he do that? That bitch, you know, those people, whatever they're doing. Instead, I, cause that actually distracts from me feeling it. You know, when you're just like kind of yelling inside your head and blaming someone else, not that he didn't, he, he deserved to be blamed. It was him in my book, but that distracted me from holding this extreme heart wrenching pain. So I would feel the pain, go fully in, and by going fully in without being distracted by accusing, yelling in my brain, I would come out, you know, maybe an hour, maybe it would take six hours, but usually it was like an hour or two of full-on crying, screaming, hitting something, I'd be better. And then I'd, I'd be fine, like totally normal for three days. And then in three days, I'd go around the corner and I'd see something that reminded me of, I had, and it was 31 years together. That's a long time. So mm -hmm. I'd remember it's a memory on the kitchen floor again. I'm crying my eyes out. And this lasted for, a, you know, how long? 10 weeks. I actually, I actually measured the time because every three days I was thinking it was going to be over. But because I didn't deny the feelings whatsoever, and it, it lifted much faster, I think than if I had stayed in this blaming, like, how dare he? Now, by the way, those thoughts can, I, it's been 13 years since this has all happened. I could still go there at a heartbeat. But I, I use my own advice and go, no, that's completely ridiculous. Stop, stop, no. It's kind of like disciplining a child who wants to have a tantrum on you all yeah. the time. Um, but the same thing happened with breast cancer. You know, when I found that I had breast cancer, you know, that was the that was the last thing. I mean, I didn't ever think I was going to divorce. I didn't ever think I was going to get breast cancer. Neither one of those were on my radar because I'm healthy. You know, I, I work on myself, blah, blah, blah. Um, but when I found I had breast cancer, I let myself go into the grief. You know, this is, I, I could die. I'm, I, oh my God, this is horrible. And then I let go of those thoughts. And actually, I, I really follow uh, Eckhart Tolle's advice because that's I've, I've read his books I can't tell you how many times and at the time uh, the thing that really stuck with me was well, are you dying right now like in this moment are you dying no I actually felt really good so I kept coming back to what is like what's right now right now I'm perfectly healthy 
And so I had to keep letting go of the drama. Even though there was drama and there was sadness. So if I felt, if I, if the sadness came up, I would go there, fully go. But if I could stop it, you know, in the early stages, which is, suppose I had, suppose the lymph nodes of blah, blah. Okay, shh, 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 shh. you don't know that. Okay, just drop those words. What's true now? What's true now is I'm reading a book and this is really nice. It's really nice to have this time because mm. I gave myself a lot of time during that. You know, I kind of, I took off, you know, from my art. I was in doing art at the time, art full time. So yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, it's it's so interesting that um, I've never really thought of it that way. Just um, separating the grief, the actual physical grief, allowing that while not allowing yourself to get lost in thought. Like it's just like those two things. We usually, I, I assume, because I do, um, those two things. It's quite natural, I would think, to lump them together. The actual feeling of the the physical grief plus the thinking of why this happened, what did I do wrong, or, or what did what they did wrong, or all of this story, um, just yeah. to actually separate those and allow the feeling but, but not allow the thoughts. It's um, so interesting just because I, I didn't quite realise that they could... seems obvious, but, yeah. Well, it, but it's obvious and it's also I don't always do it, you know. No. So, but when I do it, it's usually on the big ones. Like on the everyday things that just piss you off, I have to really work on it because our, I've read this, that our brains are actually hardwired to do this. You know, they're hardwired to look for the worst because it's a protective thing. It's something about this whole flight thing, you know, like we're from, I forgot what it is, but our brains are hardwired to look for the worst. Yep. So like right now I'm going through something that is not that bad. But that's when it's harder for me to do. Like when it's hard, hard, I'm kicked into high gear, man, because it's survival mode. Yeah. I, I got to get out of this thing. But when it's just low grade, chronic, and, and that's why my job lasted so long. You know, my university job was low grade, chronic misery. Yeah. You know, but, and so it was harder to recognize that I was creating it by continuing the, the voice that said, this is awful. And these people are awful. Um, but when it gets really big, I'm really good. But actually, Eckhart Tolle says that. Eckhart Tolle says we need these huge big ones because that's when the huge growth happens. Then we just, like, kick in and really do it if we choose to do it. Yeah, yeah. How do you find a balance between accepting what is and I, I know you don't use the word accepting, do you? You more use the word, um, the term being in the moment. And, um, and action. So, so you're really passionate about your art. You're really good at your art. Um, and, and I know that you make sure you fit your art around your one week of work that you do um, a month. Um, like even on your work week, you're still doing your art after work of an evening, which is pretty full on. Like, so that's, that shows a, a huge level of commitment and dedication. So you're not really going, oh, I'm at my day job now. I can't do my art. You're still, you're still going, no, this is what I want to do. I'm going to make time for, for my art. So how, how do you strike that, that balance between the action and the just going, oh, this is my lot in life? Oh, God. Oh, so. <laughs> um, well, there's, so there's two parts to that, D. So before I quit my job a second time, so I quit my job in 2018. So for three years, the I was Myers, Sorry, the Myers-Briggs one? The, the Myers-Briggs job, yep. right. So I've been working on it for 12 years. I've been yep. with them for 12 years, traveling almost weekly. And three years before I left, and by the way, I had always wanted to do full-time art again. But I just kept asking the universe, when should I go? Like, just make it really obvious, because I'm not going to jump again the way I did before. Just tell me, make it so clear that there's no question I should not be going. So for the last three years, uh, while I was asking God, please tell me when I'm supposed to quit because I want to quit, even though I liked the job. The job was great. I just wanted art. I, I was doing exactly what you're saying. I was doing art in my hotel room. So I was bringing art with me, and three hours a night I would do art. 
And even though I was exhausted, I would do art. And that's actually what eventually got me out of my job. You know, so it was, by the way, really hard. I think it was hard on my health. My, my immune system went way down because even though I was exhausted, my, my day job is actually really, really physically hard. Um, I would still do art at night which is lovely and fun, but I was never turning off. You know, I was, I, I was in a stress mode a lot, even though I liked what I was doing because I wasn't giving my body time to repair. So when I left the job, I ended up with a lot of health issues. I had pneumonia many, many times. Um, I would get sick if someone just passed me in a hallway. I would catch their cold. I mean, this happened. I was sick all the time, you know. So for like two years after I quit my job, I was sick all the time. Um, and so... And as you said, so then I did this five day a week. I do this five day a week thing. For the first couple years, I did exactly what you said. So even though I'm working this day gig, in my lunch hours, I get a nice two hour lunch period. I would set my studio up. So I'm, I'm just walking to the other part of my house. I do my art during my lunch break. But this past year during COVID, I actually stopped doing that because I realized um, I was stressing my body out by doing it. Because even though I'm doing Zoom training, it's just the same as doing stand-up training, which is what I do. So, um, but what, I, what I'm completely committed to is during the three weeks that I don't have this day gig, and even on the weekends, I basically work seven days a week because I don't really consider this a job. I consider this my life's passion. And it does take discipline. Like Instagram's a good example. You know, Instagram, I post every single day and people think, oh, how can you do that? Like, that sounds like it's so much. And it's just, it, I don't put a label on anything. You know, like Instagram is part of my business model. I do it every day because that is how I can put my art into the world. Instagram is a, a major marketing vehicle. So I try not to label it. I try not to label anything as good and bad, but in the last year, I've learned to take care of my health exponentially better. And I haven't been sick now in yeah, okay. about a year and a half. And part of that's COVID, but it's also because um, I've worked with some health, some healers that have really taught me that working nonstop the way, you know, like if I work my day gig and my night gig or my, my passion art. It, it wears on my, um, paras my, all my systems go out of whack. Yeah. So it's kind of ad admirable that you, that you were able to do that for so long, but it's, it's good that you're now finding a little bit more of a balance. Like it's one thing to yeah. do what you love, but it's another thing to do what you love to the point of physical exhaustion and affecting. You yeah. Know? So I guess right. it's a matter of trying to tune into, to your body a little bit more. Do you think? Yeah, and I had I had to go through that to know what it was. Yeah, like I didn't know, you know, because my devotion to being a full time artist was so great that I pushed myself, you know, for three years of doing all my art in my hotel rooms, and I don't regret that a bit. It's just that now I know that that's over the top, you know, um, and but it also got me here. You know, I created a lot of art. I sold some collections. I realized, oh yeah, I have something. So it's not, um, it, I don't, I, it's just like, a, it's part of my learning. But now it's like, you know what, it, you know, it, it's not worth it. You know, I'm, it's not worth, because I get to sell some art, that I'm going to be all stressed out and hurt myself and not have a relationship. I'm, I'm remarried. You know, I'm not going to have a relationship with my husband. And so, yeah, yeah. it's, I'm, I'm, you know, I think we're all learning. You know, it's like, this is not, you know, like this whole non-resistance thing, I'm still learning it over and over and over again. And I'm learning how to live my life in a saner way, even though I get to do my life's passion. You know, I still bring me with me, which is, can be, you know, intense. Yeah. You know, I want to get somewhere. And it's kind of like a spiral, isn't it? Like you have to learn the same lessons over and over again in slightly different ways. It's exactly that. Mm. You know, it's exactly that. You know, so like just recently, this is like in the last 30, 48 hours, I realized, damn, I'm doing it again. Like, but you know, when it is, the thing is, it's for me, when it's just low grade stress, low grade annoyance, that's when it's the hardest to fix for me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Same here. Well, I'm going yeah. to try to apply some of your advice a bit more. I do try, but um, I always revert back to my 
what you call monkey brain, but um, going we, to keep, we all do. We all do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do too. I have to. I have. I mean, I just realized forty-eight hours ago. Like, damn, there it is again. You know, it's like yeah. you know, it's like the universe just keeps bringing it to you over and over again until you can resolve it. And I'm hoping I can resolve it in this lifetime. I hope you can yeah. too. Yeah. But I think and we, have to be, we have to be kind on ourselves that this yeah. is a lifetime process for the big ones, you know? Yeah. But I think yeah. you're doing too. And it's just a matter of trying to remember that whatever you focus on is, is going to expand basically, isn't it? Yeah. Which is a really bizarre project or a bizarre thing. Yeah. Yeah. Puts a lot of power in our hands, but yes, hard, hard to, um, hard to utilize. Well, yeah, because, you know, the things that we're resistant to, they make sense. Yeah. I mean, some of the things that you've told me in the past that you're resistant to, well, of course you're resistant to those. <laughs> yeah. like, who likes racism or yeah. whatever it is? Sexism. You know? and, yeah, yeah. obvious things to not like. Yeah. But yelling at them in your brain doesn't get you any, doesn't help anything. Yeah. In a, in a real universal way, you're actually contributing in a really, it's bizarre that you're not, you're making your own self-stressed and you're keeping yourself still in the mm. same place. So I guess it's just shutting down the thoughts like, yes, he's a douche, whatever. Um, but <laughs> yeah. instead of going down that thought pattern, just allowing yourself to feel that as well, do you think? I think the minor ones are much harder. Yeah. You know, when you're saying like, he's a douchebag, he's a jerk. So as soon as I hear those words, I'm not trying to like do anything with them. I'm just going, okay. I got it. Just let the thought go and just be in the peace of the thought. That's all you got to do. You don't have to make nice. Yeah. It's just stopping the thought and it may come back in five minutes. Okay. There's that thought again. I know you want to, I know you want, but it's like a child having a tantrum <laughs> and that child's just going to have a tantrum over and over again. It's not doing any good. Yeah. They want to get your attention and maybe the, you know, maybe the child wants something from you, but I think it's just so much easier to go. And just let it go. Mm. And it feels so good, the peace that's left behind. Yeah. And you don't have that voice yelling in your head that he's a douchebag. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got five questions that I'd like to ask you to, to wrap up. Um, so these are just kind of like getting to know you a bit better. So the first one is your favourite book. Oh, well, that's the easiest question of all. Um, a New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. That's in my top five too. I like I like really? it better than Power of Now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. Yes. Uh, so something few people know about you. Mm. <laughs> uh, well, I'll just tell you the most recent one. I love Paint by Numbers. I'm doing That's it surprising. right now. Yeah. I know. Isn't it weird? My husband it is surprising. Me, my husband bought me a really complicated one. Yep. It is like meditation. It's like putting a puzzle together. Yeah. It's so meditative. The only reason it's why it's surprising is that your art is so um, intuitive and flowy, you know, and, and the, the paint by numbers sort of thing is, is you know, all organized and everything. So it's and pretty and much prescriptive. The and prescriptive. Yeah. You follow, yeah. Oh, my God. I know. I was thinking last night as I was doing it, because my husband, I bought him a model car, which is so bizarre for him. So he's building a model car, and I'm doing paint by number. And I was thinking, am I ever going to tell anybody <laughs> I do this? Because it's really, you know, it's out of character. Uh, the third one is how do you make space for joy in your life? <gasps> oh, my God. That's not a little question there, Denise. No. Well, the way I'd have to answer that is the way I'm doing it right now, which is I don't, I love the word joy. It's one of my favorite words. But I also love the word presence. So the way I've been doing it right now in current time is I actually have a timer on my phone. It's called the Remindfulness app. It rings every 30 minutes. And every 30 minutes, it reminds me to bring – it can be any one of words. It could be joy, presence, transcendence, consciousness, spaciousness. I love all those words. But just for the moment, it brings me back to what's right now. And that's joy. Okay. Every 30 minutes. That. Yeah. So what's right now? Mm. It's a good way of looking at it. Okay. So what, um, 
what is your most important life lesson so far? Oh. These are very big questions, Denise. I know. It's not fair that I'm putting you on the spot, is it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, not easy one. So, well, the first word that comes to mind is uh, it's all about non-resistance. Yeah. And um, it's just come about in many, many, many different um, life lessons and probably will for the rest of my life is, you know, when I realize I'm in resistance, um, that is when things go very slow. When I can just accept things, not just accept, not, it's not like I'm liking things. Yeah. When I stop fighting them, life just happens. And usually it puts me in a place I had no idea I was going to land. Yeah. In every case, actually. And I have probably a dozen examples. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what quality or attribute are you currently nurturing within yourself? Oh, right now it's all about being present. And I, I really use the word presence. I love the word presence. So Eckhart Tolle has these amazing stories of, he says he walks into a room and he just acknowledges the chair. And not like he's saying hi to it, but he's just, he's just feeling the presence of the chair, of the rug, of the artwork. And that's what I've been doing for the last, actually for the last week and a half, you know, and I, it's a, it's a practice I've been doing forever, but it, I forget to do it because mm. I get wrapped up in everyday life. And when I can go and really be with all, and that's what I do every 30 minutes too. So I, you know, I kind of look around and just like be with something in my, in my, in my environment. It brings me back to myself and to presence and to connectedness and basically non-resistance. Like I'm not just zooming through my day. I'm actually present with whatever's in front of me, but it's a lifetime practice, you know, and it just, it takes on different forms, but that's what the form looks like at the moment. Okay. Well, thank you so much for um, chatting with me today. It's been awesome. Denise, you're a joy. Thank you. Thank and by the way, your questions are phenomenal. <laughs> I talk so often about, you know, my art, but I don't get to talk about what matters most to me. Yeah. And that's what you asked me about. Yeah. So I'm, I'm grateful to you because it helps to remind me because, you know, I'm not like a guru that's figured it all out. I'm figuring it out no. and, uh, because it actually repeating it actually helps me as well. So thank you. Thanks so much for listening. How amazing is Catherine? There's like a huge story there and I could talk to her all day just to go through it all. But um, hopefully you got enough out of that because, yeah, that she's wise and wonderful and so creative. Her art is definitely worth checking out. So as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, the links are all in the show notes. Um, don't forget to follow the Shift podcast if you're enjoying the episodes and I will see you next time. Bye.